I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 1 in the Old Testament. The message today is forward. That's the direction that we want to go in as we approach a new year. And it's also the direction that we want to go in in our spiritual walk with God in Jesus. In a forward direction where we're continually growing and advancing and becoming more like our Savior. Rachel Goslins wrote an article for the Washington Post entitled, You Are Looking at the Future All Wrong. According to Goslins, if you ask someone to imagine the future, one of two visions may spring to mind. A utopian futurescape or a decimated landscape. Both visions miss the point, according to Goslins, who went on to write, the prevailing attitude toward the future seems to be one of passivity and pessimism. And this is a mistake. Recently, 60 leaders in the arts and sciences and humanities and technologies gathered at the Smithsonian Institution's Arts and Industries building for an event called the Long Conversation. In it, they responded to one question. What makes you hopeful for the future? Each of them responded in ways that were consistent with their background and their expertise and gave input into how they thought the world could improve and how things could be better and why their focus was as it was and is as it is for the future. So I think about this as Christians, as followers of Jesus. When we are presented with such a question, what makes you hopeful for the future? We answer that question very differently than many people in the world would. The very essence of the gospel is that God makes all things new. That God takes what was broken and lost and separated and wandering, and he brings us to himself through faith in Jesus. He redeems us. He creates in us a new spirit. He makes us like his son Jesus, and the spirit of God comes to indwell us. So if we have said yes to Jesus and no to the old way of life, and we've been raised to walk in the newness of Christ, then we should be the most hopeful people of all. As I look around the world and even around the church and people who profess to know Christ, there seems to be this heavy weight of pessimism and this gloomy outlook that is weighing down people who should know better. People who are living in despair when they should be filled with hope. And I want you to know today that we should be the most hopeful people of all. We should be the most positive people of all. We should be the most encouraged people of all if we know Jesus because our focus is in a different direction than that of the world. You've likely heard the phrase onward and upward but might not know where it came from. In 1825, George Washington Doan, who was then the Bishop of New Jersey, wrote a poem entitled, What is That, Mother? And included in it was this verse, What is that, Mother? The eagle boy, proudly careering and careening his course of joy, firm on his mountain vigor, relying, breasting the dark storm, the red bolt defying, his wing on the wind and his eye on the sun. He swerves not a hair, but bears onward, right on, Boy, may the eagle's flight ever be thine, onward and upward, and true to the line. By 1829, the poem had reached the London Literary Gazette, and by the mid-1830s was becoming common in books that schoolchildren would read. 
Confident listeners would have the heroic eagle vision emblazoned upon their minds as they heard it. In the context of preaching, the poem scene would have evoked the well-known Isaiah scripture, soaring on eagle's wings, running without tiring, walking without weakening. And it's not hard to see how onward and upward could have taken on a life of its own as a motto for those wanting to motivate themselves or others to press on toward higher things. May our motto as we move into 2019 be onward and upward in a forward direction. And as we approach this new year, it presents to us an opportunity for a new beginning and a hope-filled future. The idea of a new beginning is to start with a clean slate, leaving behind the things that have passed, leaving behind the things that are negative, leaving behind the things that have wounded us and been hurtful to us and have kept us from being all that God wanted us to be. And that should be our attitude as Christians. And I often say that we don't truly ever get over the things that happen to us that are painful and sad and troublesome, but we do get through them. Some of you are a walking testimony of that. You've dealt with some most difficult things just in this past year, maybe even in the past months. And it seemed like it was things that you didn't know if you were going to get through. You didn't know what was going to happen next. But the Lord was present with you. And he stirred your soul to trust in him in a greater way. And because of that, you not only got through it, but you got stronger as a result of it. You not only got stronger as a result of it, but you were able to encourage other people around you and you're able to keep your eyes on the Lord. We're going to read this morning from Joshua chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read this passage of Scripture, and then I'll give you some introductory thoughts about it, and then we'll look at some lessons that we can learn from it. We'll read the entirety of the chapter. It's not a long one, but it encompasses really the entirety of the story that I want to share with you. The Bible says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. I've given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now verse 10. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you to inherit. Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest, and he will give you this land. Your wives, dependents, 
and livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But your best soldiers must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given you. And they too possess the land the Lord your God has given them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses the Lord's servant gave you on the east side of the Jordan. They answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us we will do and everywhere you send us we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses and everything. Certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. Joshua, as the sixth book of the Old Testament and the first book of the prophets, is important because it is revealing to us the forward direction that God's people were going on their way to the promised land. This was a land that God had promised to his people all the way back in his calling of Abram. And the promised land is a comparison for us because we, as children of God and as followers of Jesus, are on our way to the heavenly promised land. We're headed toward that city whose builder and maker is God. And as we journey through this life, we need to be reminded of how God has called us to live and how God is with us along the way and how he strengthens us with his word and directs us by his spirit. The events of Joshua span about 25 years that began around 1406 BC, just to give you some perspective before the time of Jesus on the earth. The conquest of Canaan would take about seven years. Joshua's final address and subsequent death would take place about 20 years later. The scene is that the nation of Israel is poised on the banks of the Jordan River. Across from the Jordan River and the bank that they were standing on was the city of Jericho, which is in and of itself a great story of the Old Testament. And we find here recorded the calling of Joshua to follow Moses as his successor, as the leader of the people. And then what follows that in the book of Joshua is really the remainder of the conquest and the military campaigns that ends with Joshua's regathering of the nation for his final exhortation. Joshua's name is significant because it means Yahweh is salvation or God saves. The New Testament equivalent of that is none other than Jesus. There are two major divisions in this book. The first part, uh, giving the invasion and conquest account, and then the second part, detailing the allotment of the land to the tribes of Israel. Remember, Joshua had already been into this land. In fact, some 38 years before or so, he had been sent into the land with the 12 uh, 12 spies representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were given the responsibility to come back with a report. And they were to come back and tell what the land was like, what the lay of the land was, what they should expect as they entered into the promised land. But you might recall there were only two of those spies that went in that came back with a faith report. Joshua was one of those. He recalled, no doubt, the beauty of the land and the provision that was there. But he also recalled the formidable foes that were in that place. 
He knew that they were dangerous people and they lived in strong and fortified cities. But he also knew that God was directing Israel to go forward. And when God directs, he always empowers. And we find some lessons in Joshua 1 on how we can move forward. You might have heard the saying that there's a reason that the rear view mirror is so small in a car and the windshield is so big. It's because where you're headed is much more important than where you've been. It's important to see where you've been and to get that into perspective and to learn from it, but it's more important to move forward. And as believers, we should always be progressing on our spiritual path with Jesus. Lesson number one is this. You need to prepare for the challenge. You need to prepare for the challenge. Now, the scripture says here in verse one, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. This little phrase, after the death of Moses, links Joshua with the book of Deuteronomy. Before Moses' death, Joshua was designated as his successor. You remember that Joshua had worked with Moses for a number of years. Now, you know what happens when you work with somebody for a number of years. If it's someone who has positive character and good character and strong competencies and abilities, they rub off on you. You learn from them, right? You learn from their character to emulate them. You learn from what their competencies are to be able to do things yourself. And I think that's what happened in Joshua's life. He learned from Moses what it meant to be a leader. He learned from Moses what it meant to have intimacy with God. And he learned from Moses these strategic things that he did in following the Lord. But no doubt, Joshua's now waiting with anticipation to hear a word from the Lord. Moses is referred to three times in Joshua 1 and 13 times elsewhere in the book of Joshua as the servant of the Lord. By the time we get to the end of Joshua, Joshua is referred to in the same way. He's assuming that mantle of leadership, and he's supposed to lead them across the Jordan River. Now, bear in mind, this was not an easy task. The Jordan River, according to chapter 3, was at flood stage. So it was swollen. It was dangerous. And we know all too well here in West Virginia in these hills when the water comes down quickly and the rivers and the creeks begin to rise that those waters can be very dangerous. So just imagine in your mind's eye a large river that's now swollen to flood stage. There's mountains on either side and God's telling you to go across. Now, it's important to see here also that God had already given them the title to the land in a sense, but now he's calling them to claim it. He tells them where the boundaries are going to lie. And he says in verse 2, Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. Let's focus in just for a few moments on this word prepare. What does it mean to prepare in life. Well, to prepare is to get ready. It's to get ready for something that you're anticipating is going to happen in the future. It's to get yourself in such a circumstance and in such a state of readiness that you can do whatever it is that's in front of you. Now, the Lord, when he calls us to get ready and the Lord, when he calls us to prepare, already knows what's coming ahead of us. Think about it this way. God, because he is outside of time, is not bound up by the calendar like we are. When God sees his creation, 
He sees it from the beginning to the end, and he sees all points in between. There's never a past or a present or a future, in a sense, to God because he's not bound in time like we are. So when he calls us to do something, we may be sitting here in the present, and we're thinking about what the future is going to bring, but God's already there. He was with us in the past. He's still with us in the present. He'll be there with us in the future, and he's getting us ready for whatever it is that he's calling us to do. And the Lord said, I am giving this land. There's two different forms of the verb give that are used to reflect in one sense that God was still in the process of giving this land to Israel, even though they had not even crossed over the Jordan River. But in another sense, God had already given it to them. So anytime we're thinking about our relationship with God and our calling with God, there's always a present future sense to it. It's present for us. It's going to happen in the future, but God is there and he's at every point in between. Now there's an important difference between planning and preparation. Some of you have already sat down and you've checked off some things or written down some things on your list that you want to happen in the new year. And those things are are sort of plans for you. It's a to-do list of sorts that you would like to accomplish. And I think that's good. But there's a step beyond planning that takes us to a point of preparation. And preparation takes us to a point of actually doing something. Preparation is very important. Someone said, planning leads to awareness. Preparation leads to readiness. Preparation for what God wants from us requires faith to move forward, and preparation can ensure our success. Harvey McKay said, life is all about preparation. Preparation is about hard work, discipline, organization, consistency, practicing the right concepts, and more. He said, I subscribe to the wisdom of the off-quoted sports maxim. The will to win is not nearly as important as the will to prepare to win. As we look forward to 2019, I want to suggest to you some keys for successful preparation as you walk with the Lord. First, you should evaluate the successes and the failures of the past year. See, we have a tendency when we look at the past to do one of two things. We either look at it through rose-colored glasses and we make it something that it was not, or we make it so negative, everything was terrible, the sky was falling, we had the worst trouble ever, we had the worst circumstances you could ever have, and we're just down on everything. Or we can look at it realistically because you might look back at the last year and you might think of certain circumstances that you went through, some very painful ones, hurtful, sorrowful, sad. Well, guess what? They were very painful and hurtful and sorrowful and sad. That's what they were and that's what you experienced. But you cannot allow those things that were difficult to cloud out the things that were good. And we've experienced so many blessings over the last year. Just the fact that God brought us through another year of life. And he's got us here today on this last Sunday of 2018. And we're worshiping together. And we're here blessed in the Lord. We've got so many things to be thankful for. Look back at the things that were successes from last year. Also look back at the things that were failures. And be willing to learn from both. And then consider areas that you want to improve in. None of us are perfect. We are all works in progress. 
Personal improvement and progress is motivating. It's satisfying for us. I would not suggest setting New Year's resolutions for yourself because you're likely to break them. They often depend on your own self-motivation and your strength. But instead, if you consider those areas you want to improve in and you make it more of a process than you do an event, then you're more likely to be successful in what it is that you want to get better in, whatever that area is, whether it be something personal or family or work-related or maybe for your business or maybe in your service to Christ and your role in the church, whatever that is, consider how you want to improve and then set goals in order to do that. You see, what goals do is they help us to have a target to try to reach. Uh, Zig Ziglar said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You see, what goals do is they help us measure our progress. They help us to know how we're doing. They help us to know whether or not we're advancing and whether or not we're accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish. And your actions create results. Now, here's the deal. Every decision has a consequence. Every action has a consequence, either to the positive or the negative. So you need to learn from the things that were negative. You need to grow and advance from the things that are positive, and you need to keep moving forward. The Israelites were preparing to walk where they had never walked before. They were going into a land that was unknown to them. Well, guess what? We're going into a new year that is unknown to us. I often say that I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't show us in advance some of the things that are going to happen to us because we could not handle it. But I am eternally grateful that God gives us grace for the moment. That whatever the situation is, even if it seems like we're not going to be able to stand up under it, God gives us grace that is sufficient to be able to deal with it. Not just deal with it, but overcome it, learn from it, and keep moving forward into the future. And none of us knows what our immediate future is going to hold. Each day we face the new and the unknown, and most of us don't like the unknown. But when we follow God into unknown territory, what it does is it stirs up a faith in us that would never have been stirred otherwise. It creates in us a dependence on God that we would have never had otherwise. You need to prepare for the challenge. Lesson number two is depend on God's commitment depend on God's commitment. Look again here in verse 5. The scripture says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I'll be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God's commitment was for his power to be with them. God's limitless divine power was promised to give them the ability to overcome any opposition that they would face. You see, no person can stand against God and win. No enemy can come against God and be victorious. No problem has ever been presented to God that he could not overcome by his power. Now, obviously, as Joshua viewed the prospects before him, and he saw these tribal groups that inhabited the promised land, and he considered these strong city-states and their security and their wealth and their powerful armies, he could have looked at that and said, hey, this is a mission that is impossible. But that's not how he looked. He looked with eyes that were dependent on God's commitment. Because he knew what God was saying, and he was confident that God would keep his promise 
to be with them along the way. And rather than saying mission impossible, he looked at those obstacles. He looked at those enemies. He saw those city-states. He saw their strength and their wealth and their resources. And he said, mission possible by the power of of God. You see, that's the kind of attitude we've got to have as we move into 2019. So if you've got some immediate challenges that you've got to deal with, they're carryovers from this present year that we're living in. They might have been long-standing challenges that you're dealing with. And I want you to know that with God, all things are possible. And it might be that you've been praying for an answer and you've been seeking deliverance and you've been looking for God to intervene in your circumstance and it's not yet happened. I want you to know that you should just hold on. Just keep believing. Just keep trusting that God is able. And you know what? No matter what happens in the immediate future, we're playing the long game as Christians. And we cannot get drawn into this world mentality that everything is bad and the sky is falling and this pessimistic, gloomy outlook about life. We're to look at life and see that God has been victorious already. And when we look to the cross and we look to the empty tomb and we look to the power of the Spirit of God, we see that we are winners regardless of what happens in the immediate. God is with us and his power is sufficient to see us through. And hey, let's just look at it and be honest. There's a lot of obstacles in life. There are a lot of enemies that we come up against. But if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm reminded of one of my favorite passages in all the Bible in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Here's what the scripture says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, it's also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we ought to have that kind of faith. And as we think about what's coming in the new year, we shouldn't look at it with dread and, and we shouldn't look at it and loathe the year to come. We should say, hey, thank you, Lord, that you brought me through another year. Thank you, Lord, that you give me life to enter into this year. And I want to make the most of it. I don't want to squander it. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to sit around and, and not be useful for you. And not only was God's commitment for his power to be with them, but God's commitment was for his presence to be with them. God had initially shown Israel his presence through the cloud and through the pillar of fire. He was with them along the way in their journey in the wilderness. You see, the commitment that God makes to us for his presence to be with us is the greatest promise of all. When you wake up in the morning, if you can say, I'm with God, you can say with confidence, God is with me. Whatever the challenges of the day might bring, 
God is with me. Jesus promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. The scripture says here in Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you or abandon you. Literally, it means I won't drop you. You understand, people will drop you. You want to find out when they'll drop you? Go through something difficult in life. Hey, it's easy to be anybody's friend when times are good. It's easy to be anybody's friend when things are happy. It's easy to be anybody's friend when you're benefiting from it. But when your friend is at the lowest point or you are at the lowest point of your life, you'll find out who the true friends are because they'll be the people who are still standing with you. They've not left you. They've not forsaken you. But I want you to understand that even if everybody in this life abandons you and drops you, God will never abandon you or drop you. You are secure in him. And Israel was going to get to the promised land the same way they got out of Egypt. It was going to be by the power and the presence of God in their lives. And we're going to get through 2019 the same way we got through 2018. By the power and the presence of God in our lives. And he's going to keep us moving onward and upward and in a forward direction. But we've got to depend on what God has said to be true. And that is he, he is with us. His commitment is certain. Lesson number three. You need to follow God's commands. The first five verses speak to what Joshua was supposed to do. The verses which follow are concerned with what he needed to be able to accomplish the task before him. Three times God says, be strong and courageous. The strength and the courage was not self-strength and self-courage. You understand that self-confidence is dangerous. And the reason that self-confidence is dangerous is it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's built on pride. And ultimately, we're weak. Hey, I'm dependent on God for my next breath. I'm dependent on God for the fact that I could even wake up tomorrow. I am in his hand. So if I'm depending on myself, then I'm always going to come up short. But a God confidence leads to faithfulness. And Joshua and the people were called to boldness and courage because of who God is. And this does not mean that we will not have fear. That would be unrealistic. There's a reason that the Bible tells us not to be afraid. And there's a reason that the Bible tells us to be strong. And there's a reason the Bible tells us to be courageous because we get afraid We're weak, and we're sometimes not very courageous. So to think that that's not going to be the case would be unrealistic. But what it means is that you can press through even if the anxiety of life begins to rise. Even if your uncertainty and the fearfulness in your spirit begins to grow, you can know that God is with you and that because he is with you, you can follow his commandment to be strong and courageous. Fear will make you a coward. Faith will make you bold. I'll tell you one area that we need to be a lot more bold in is in our faith in Jesus and our communicating of our faith in Jesus to others. Fear sometimes gets in the way when we have called on the name of Christ ourselves and we would say that we've been saved, that we know the gospel, But then we don't communicate that with people around us that we care about. 
How could that be? How, how could we profess to have received the greatest gift that's ever been given and yet not freely share it with others? It's fear. And it's fear of man. It's fear of people. It's fear of marginalization. It's fear of what people are going to think about us. It's fear of rejection. And none of those things are good reasons why not to share. So one of the things that I pray for as we enter into this new year is that we would have a new boldness and courage in the gospel with the people that are closest to us, the people that are our family, the people that we work with, the people that we live near, our community. And as we go on mission for Christ in the world, may we have a holy boldness and courage in the gospel. And to be able to overcome fear, you've got to learn to deal with your negative thoughts and negative life outlooks. And you've got to face it, and you've got to ask God to give you strength and courage. The main way that we follow God's commands is by knowing His Word. Because in His Word, He has spoken. And we are to observe the Word, verse 7 indicates that we're to observe carefully the whole of the instruction. Strength and courage are directly dependent on carefully detailed obedience to the written word of God. See, Joshua was a man who understood that he was under the authority of God. Remember, he was waiting there on the banks of the Jordan River for direction from God, and God was faithful to give it. And we are looking for direction in this life, and God has been faithful to give us direction in this life. And if we'll look to his word, we'll have the direction that we need. He told Joshua, don't turn to the right or to the left. He's saying the same thing to us. Keep your eyes on the path. Keep moving forward. And there's all kind of distractions in this world, aren't there? All kind of distractions. Technological distractions, people distractions, the distractions of problems, the distractions of world issues and conflicts. And if we're not careful, we're looking in all these different directions and we're seeking answers. But we're not looking in the most important place of all. And as we observe the Word of God, we should be meditating on the Word. Verse 8 says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully obey everything that is written in it. You want to know why a lot of people in our country are wandering aimlessly through life? It's number one, because they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And number two, they're not following the Word of God. We're not immune to this in the church. There are many people who attend churches regularly who never spend much time at all in the Word. The only dose they get is when they come and they hear the preacher preach. There was a LifeWay study just last year of Americans trying to determine their interaction with the Word of God. And here's what it found. Only 10% of Americans have, uh, or 10% of Americans, I should say, have never read the Bible at all. That's one out of 10. 13% have only read a few sentences. 30% have read several passages or stories. Likely, this whole group in here are the people that somebody took to vacation Bible school along the way, or they're grandmother or their aunt or their parent or somebody dropped them off at Sunday school and they heard a few stories. 15% of people have read at least half of the word. 12% have read, according to their response to the survey, almost all of it. 11% have read all of it. And only 9%, less than one out of 10, have ever read the Bible 
all the way through more than once. Now think about that. If the Word of God provides a sense of calling and direction, and we're seeking calling and direction, and a blueprint for life, essentially, but yet we're not in the Word, how could we expect to end up on the right path? See, the Word of God draws us near to God, and it, and it purifies our lives. It gives us discernment. When you're getting those competing worldview ideas that are coming across the path of your life and into your mind and into your heart, it's the Word that you can compare those things to and say, hey, something's not right about that. I may not even know exactly what it is that's not right about it, but I know that's not right, and I want to be sure that I avoid it. And the Word of God provides continual renewal. Because life is about a process that leads to a destination. So I want to ask you this question. In 2019, wherever you are on that spectrum of your intake and observation and meditation of the Word of God, would you be willing to make a commitment to spend time in His Word each day? Did you know that it only takes 70 hours to read the Bible aloud? If I were to start in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 right now, reading this Bible aloud, I'd be through it in 70 hours. And you don't have to be a mathematician to know that you could spend about 15, hour, 15 minutes a day to get through those 70 hours, and you would have read the entire Bible in a year. That's not much time at all. We spend more time than that in the morning wasting it on social media a lot of times. 15 minutes. And here's a rock-solid, ironclad guarantee I'll make you. If you will spend time in the Word daily and pray and ask God to help you through it, you'd be a different person when we come to the last Sunday of 2019. You'd be an altogether stronger, more vibrant, more faith-filled person than you are right now. And if God in His kindness has shown His people how we're to live in a relationship with Him then obedience that is active and is not just intellectual agreement is the only way to make the most of his goodness. So my word to you is one that we've already touched on. Be strong and courageous. That's God's word to us. Be strong and courageous. Hanging in the U.S. National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. is a series of four paintings by Thomas Cole. He painted these works during the Second Great Awakening. And they're intended to be allegorical about life and to provide a parallel of sorts about what life is like. And these paintings have been entitled The Voyage of Life. Each one of them depicts a stage of life on what is referred to as the river of life. Childhood, youth, manhood, and old age. The first painting is of childhood. It shows a mountain with a dark cave at its base and a river flowing out of the cave. A beautiful timber boat glides out of the cave into a world full of lush vegetation, flowers in bloom, and a peaceful, gentle surface on the water. Inside the boat is a laughing baby with a guardian angel standing right behind. The painting shows childhood as a time of wonder and joy. The second painting is called Youth. We see the same boat now traveled further downstream. The baby's grown into a teenage boy. He stands in the rear, confidently steering the boat towards a majestic white castle off in the distance. 
The river banks are still lush and green, and the guardian angel still standing on those banks watching the young man boldly chart his course. The painting shows youth as a time of dreaming and absolute self-confidence that nothing can hold me back. When we look at the third painting, the scene has changed dramatically. The youth has become a man. The river has become a raging torrent, and the sky has become dark and threatening. The castle of dreams is nowhere to be seen, and the boat's rudder has broken. Up ahead lie treacherous rocks with white water crashing all around them. The man in the boat is caught up by forces that he cannot control. With the rudder broken, he cannot steer his boat. All he can do is look up to the sky and pray. Meanwhile, the guardian angel sits hidden in the clouds. Cole is picturing adulthood as a time when the joy and the wonder of childhood have been tamed by the difficulty and the tragic experiences of life, when the confidence and boldness of youth have been swept away by the harsh realities of life. And the final painting is called Old Age. The battered and weathered boat has finally reached the ocean. The dark clouds remain, but the water is still. The boat's occupant is now an old man, and his gaze is fixed firmly on the clouds out there in front of him, clouds pierced by the glorious light of heaven, the light pierced by angels coming to and fro. And for the first time in his life, the man sees the guardian that is accompanying him on this journey, and it comes and takes him by the hand and prepares him for the journey into the heavens. I'm always blessed by the simplicity and the innocence of childhood. Babies are so precious to see them grow and develop. But there's something inside of us when we're perhaps holding one of those little children that knows that life's not always going to be that smooth. Yes, they're going to grow into the season of youth and they're going to have life in front of them and they're going to have vigor and strength and optimism about the future. And then they're going to enter into that adulthood stage where the wind begins to blow and the skies get a little darker and the torrent of the rains and the raging water begins to grow. And we know ultimately all of us are going to reach that final stage if the Lord permits for us to live that long. And we're going to reach the end of our journey at some point and we're going to make our way into eternity. If that eternity is marked by a relationship with God in Christ, we're going to reach the most beautiful city of all. We're going to reach the greatest blessings that could ever be experienced. We're going to reach the very presence of God for all of eternity with Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father and the angels rejoicing in all the beauty of what God creates in a new heaven and a new earth. But if we don't know Christ... And we can't say that we have a relationship with God through Jesus. The darkest, most sorrowful existence of all awaits us in a place the Bible calls hell. And there's no reason any person should go to hell because God has provided the way for us to be with him forever. He saves us in the here and now through faith in Christ. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the gospel. And not only will you have that eternal hope, 
you'll have the certainty of God being with you now, walking with you every step of the way. So I say to you as we press ahead in a forward direction for 2019, let's do it with faith. Let's do it with a sense of holy anticipation, with a sense of a renewed expectation of what God is going to do? Are you, are you looking to the days that lie ahead as perhaps the best days that you've ever experienced in the presence of God? And the circumstances don't determine if that's the case or not. If you will draw near to God, God will draw near to you and he'll help you. That's the kind of hope that we have. And that's why we can be strong and courageous. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Here in just a moment, Pastor Eric is going to come and they're going to sing the closing song with us. And perhaps God is stirring in you the need for a renewal for this new year. You can just come up here and pray. You can pray on your own. You can come. I'll pray with you. You can come after the service is over. I'd love to encourage you and help you and pray for you as we enter into this new year. It's only by God's grace that we'll get through it. But we'll not only get through it, we'll excel if our hope is in Him. If you need Jesus today, what a, what a tragedy it would be for you to walk out of here and be unchanged. He'll save your soul if you'll trust in Him by faith. Whatever you need is, you come as we begin to sing here in just a moment. Father, you've been so good to us. We're blessed by all the good things that have happened in this past year. We're challenged by all the problems we've encountered as well. But you've helped us through. And we stand here now on the brink of a new day, just as Joshua did with the people of Israel. And God, you faithfully led them into that promised land. And they took it just like you promised they would. And Lord, you're going to faithfully lead us into the future. And and we're going to take it just like you promised we would. And you'll be with us through it all. And for that, we say thank you. I pray you'd do greater things through our lives and through the life of this church next year than ever before. And that we'd have a renewed sense of hope and faith. And we'd see good things happen because of it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.